that we could do were it not for Jesus, uh, were it not for the, the glorious good news that that passage reminds us of, that through the, the blood of Jesus, through our great high priest, we can be washed of a guilty conscience. Uh, we can be washed pure from our sin. That in Jesus, God has opened up a new way, a new a living way into the most holy place so that we can draw near to the God that we have offended without fear, with total confidence, and with great joy. It's an extraordinary thing that we do here tonight, meeting together. So let's take a moment of silence just to prepare our hearts and minds as we begin tonight. And as we do that, let me ask you three questions. Do you believe that what we are doing tonight is the greatest, the most important thing that you could be doing right now? Ask the Lord that he would open your eyes to the wonder of drawing close to him in Christ Jesus. Do you expect that the Lord will speak tonight through his word, through his living and active word? Ask that he would give you an expectant hunger to hear his voice. And is your confidence tonight found in anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ? Cast aside all false saviors and place your hope in Christ alone. Father, we praise you for this reminder of the privilege that we have tonight, even as we pray now before you, that we can come into the presence of a holy God without fear, with confidence, because of Jesus, because of what he has done for us. Father, we acknowledge that we don't always come expecting you to speak to us, that though we believe that your word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, yet we often are not expecting you to speak to us. Father, forgive us for that. Prepare our wills, prepare our minds, prepare our hearts, prepare our affections to hear you tonight. And we pray, Father, that you would speak. We pray that you would speak to us for your glory and for our good. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, the passage that we just read encourages us to hold fast to the hope that we profess. So we're going to begin tonight by professing that hope once again, professing what we believe as we sing the creed together. And then after that, we're going to sing another song responding to God's grace by praising his name, whatever place we find ourselves in tonight, whether that's on the mountaintop or whether that's in the valley. Uh, whether that's in a good place or whether that's in a desert place. So let us worship God together. Let's stand and sing as the music begins. The Father everlasting the all-creating one 
God Almighty. Through your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior. believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one, I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again, for I believe in the name of Jesus comes. 
every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name. together. Almighty God, we do bless your name wherever we find ourselves tonight. Uh, We lift up our praise and our worship to you. We thank you that when we look at the cross, we see how much you care for us, how much you love us. Uh, We thank you, we rejoice again in the glorious hope of resurrection. We thank you that because Jesus has conquered the grave, we have hope 
that goes beyond the grave. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to meet together again tonight. We pray as we come to look at your word, as Matt preaches to us, please enlighten the eyes of our hearts through your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at Paul's last letter, his last letter that he wrote. And uh, it's a letter written to Timothy, to his, his spiritual son in the gospel. And we've seen, haven't we, how he's urged Timothy to guard the gospel. And we've heard as well how that, uh, that command comes down the centuries to us, that we have a responsibility to guard that gospel not just those who are in full-time ministry, but all of us. If you're here tonight and you're a member of King's Church Chessington, then you share in that responsibility to ensure that this church guards and keeps passing on that gospel, that message once for all delivered to the saints. And tonight, as we come to the final passage in 2 Timothy, we're going to get an insight into the life of the Apostle Paul into the realities of gospel life. So let's turn to the passage tonight. It's in 2 Timothy chapter four. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand and I'm sure someone will, will bring one to you. It's on page 1197 if you've got one of these blue church Bibles. It's 2 Timothy chapter four. And we're going to start reading at verse 9. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metal worker did a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus ill in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Amen.
No. Yes, there we go. Let's pray together, shall we? Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are the God who speaks to us. Father, we've already thought and sung this evening of your holiness. And so it is amazing that you, the God of all the, all the earth, would speak to us now. Father, please help us to listen rightly and to take to heart what you have to say this evening. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like Chris has already said, we've come to the end uh, of our series in 2 Timothy this evening. And as we look at what feels a little bit like an extended PS uh, in Paul's letter to Timothy, I just want you to, to think before we get there about how you found this letter as a whole over the last six or so weeks. What have you thought about it? What have you felt about it as we've gone through? I don't know about you, but I think I've actually found it a harder-hitting letter than I expected when we set out looking at it. There have been lots of tough words from the Apostle Paul, haven't there? And I think it's fairly unavoidable that as you read through this letter, you can't really escape the fact that Paul is saying guarding the gospel isn't always going to be easy. That's been the, the, the big thing that he's been saying, the big thing that we've been thinking about. It is essential that every generation guards the gospel. But if we're going to take that task seriously, then it's not always going to be easy. That's what Paul has been trying to get across to, to Timothy as he comes towards the, the end of his life and he passes the, the mantle on to Timothy. He wants him to understand that, that guarding the gospel it's not going to be a walk in the park. It's not going to be easy for him. It's going to take courage to continue in what he has learned and become convinced of. It's going to take perseverance to keep preaching the word, no matter what. Friends will abandon you, says Paul. False teachers will oppose you. Guarding the gospel is tough. But then just because it's tough, just because it is painful at times doesn't mean it's going wrong. I guess that might have been the temptation for someone like Timothy uh, to look around, to, to see all the problems, to, to feel all the pain, and to think, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe, maybe I have got this wrong after all. Anyway, people, people keep leaving Ephesus Evangelical Church. They, they keep going to that Hymenaeus' new church plant down the road. He's getting loads every Sunday and we seem to be shrinking. Philetus, he's got a, a much bigger online platform than me. Way more Twitter followers. Maybe I'm getting it all wrong. Maybe I do need to move with the times become a bit more modern, work out a new message. Maybe I'm getting it wrong. But Paul writes, doesn't he, to say, no. No, Timothy, just because it's painful, just because it's tough, doesn't mean it's going wrong. In fact, Timothy's suffering is often a sign that things are going normal. You only need to read your Bible for a few minutes, don't you, to, to realize that, that the suffering that Paul is talking about is a normal part of the Christian life. Jesus himself says in John 15, Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. 
Or Peter, in his first letter, says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Or Paul, at the start of this letter that we've already read, in chapter 1, he says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. This is normal, says Paul. It's what Timothy should expect. It's what church leaders like Timothy should expect if they're going to guard the gospel. But more than that, it's what every Christian should expect, isn't it? Whether we're in a position of leadership or not. We've already seen glimpses of this in the letter. Back in chapter 3, Paul said that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone will be. And then right at the very end of his letter, he signs off in verse 22. Just look there. He says, The Lord be with your spirit. That your is singular. So that's you, Timothy, your spirit. But then he says, Grace and peace with you all. Plural. In other words, this this letter, yes, it is written to Timothy specifically. But Paul intends for it to be read in front of the whole church. It's like we're eavesdropping in on a, on a conversation between these two leaders. Everyone is meant to hear what Paul has to say. Everyone is meant to take to heart the words that he has to teach Timothy about normal Christian ministry. And so Paul wants everyone to have right expectations when it comes to guarding the gospel so that they can pray for and protect their leaders, and so that they can be prepared for what might come. And so Paul has been describing the normal Christian experience, the normal experience for Christians in general, and for church leaders in particular. And he closes the letter, as Chris has said, with one kind of final picture, a a snapshot as it were, of his own life and ministry, a a moment in time. Uh, It gives us a little glimpse into what guarding the gospel really looks like on the ground. And so I just want us to notice three things uh, from this snapshot this evening, three things that that are, are normal in Paul's life and ministry and so normal for life and ministry today. The first thing is to expect disappointment. Expect disappointment. Look at verse 9 again. Paul says, do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Remember, if you can, that Paul began his letter by telling Timothy that all in the province of Asia have deserted him. They've walked away from him. And here at the end of the letter, we get a, a little glimpse into how personally painful this was for Paul. We've actually met this guy, Demas, that, that's mentioned in verse 9, in two other of Paul's letters, uh, Colossians and Philemon. Uh, there, Paul talks about him as a friend and a, and a fellow gospel worker. Uh, this is not just some guy he met at church once. It's not a bloke he sat next to at a conference. No, Demas was part of the team. He was a partner with Paul in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. But now, he says, Demas has deserted him. Why? 
verse 9 again, because he loved this world. In contrast to the the love for Jesus that we saw last week in verse 8, Demas has fallen in love with the world. Just as the false teachers loved money and pleasure and themselves more than God, so Demas too has followed his heart and his heart has led him away from Jesus. Because he loved this world, he deserted me, says Paul. And so again, can you see the power of love when it comes to persevering in the Christian life? Last week we saw that that those who run the race to the very end are those that love Christ and so long for his return, long for the day that he comes back to get them. But here we see that the opposite is true. That if you love the world... If you're more concerned with what you can get out of this life than the life to come, well, then eventually you will give up on the gospel. And that makes sense, doesn't it? When opposition comes, when when the pressure increases, if you love this world, you'll choose pleasure rather than persecution. You'll choose comfort rather than the cross. Demas has deserted me, says Paul, because he loved the world. And he wasn't the only one. Just look down at verse 16. Paul says, At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. When Paul talks about his first defense there, he's talking about his recent trial in Rome. Remember back in chapter 2, he said that he's been chained like a criminal for preaching the gospel. Those chains were a result of a trial. And at these sorts of trials, Roman law permitted the defendant, Paul in this case, to call witnesses. People who would come and speak up for them, answer some of the the charges against them. But it seems that though there were plenty of Christians in Rome, plenty of people that knew Paul and had likely benefited from his ministry, none of them were willing to stand with him. No one would publicly stand with Paul in his hour of need. We're not told exactly why that was. In fact, in in Paul's astonishing humility, he urges Timothy not to hold it against them in verse 16. I think it's safe to assume that fear got the better of them. They were afraid to stand with this man, Paul. Afraid because they knew full well that to do so would, would lead to suffering like him. Fear and then shame. Remember how Paul urged Timothy in chapter 1 not to be ashamed of him or of the gospel that he proclaims. Well, perhaps these people had become ashamed of Paul, ashamed of that weak, disgraced apostle rotting in a Roman prison cell. Fear, shame, whatever the reason, Paul faced his trial alone. He stood with no one by his side. And so can you see in just this little snapshot how much disappointment Paul must have felt to be deserted by his closest friends, to be abandoned in his hour of need. Uh, Maybe you can relate to Paul a little bit. Maybe you've experienced something similar in your life. Not not that you've stood trial in a Roman court, but, but that you've been let down, that you've been disappointed 
even deserted by those you thought you could trust. Abandoned and betrayed by people you thought of as friends, as fellow gospel workers. But people who in the end loved the world and so walked away from Jesus. If you have experienced anything like that, then Paul says you should be saddened, but not surprised. A disappointment like this is painful, but it is normal if you're going to guard the gospel. After all, Jesus himself was betrayed by one of the twelve. He was deserted by his closest friends. He was denied by Peter three times. And so following him will inevitably involve the disappointment and the sadness of seeing others do the same. Paul experienced disappointment. But then secondly, he needed determination. Given the level of disappointment that that Paul experienced, we might expect him to kind of just throw in the towel at this point. He's run a good race after all. No one would hold it against him if he just kind of eased off the pedal at the end. And that's what some people think is going on in verse 11 to 13. Just look back there. People think that the old man Paul has kind of just given up. And so now he's come to the end and he he just wants some mates to keep him company. He, He wants a cloak to keep him warm and some nice books to read in the quiet of his prison cell. Doesn't sound like Paul though, does it? I don't think that's what's going on. Far from giving up, I think these verses show us that Paul is determined to keep going in gospel ministry no matter what. And so he says in verse 11, get Mark, bring Mark to me. Why? Because Mark is going to be helpful for me in my ministry. Doesn't sound like a man who's about to give up, does it? In other words, Demas and the old gang have deserted me, so let's get a new team together. Get Mark, he'll do. And it's worth pausing just on Mark for a minute because we've met him before as well. Back in in Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas have this major falling out. It was a falling out because Barnabas wanted to take Mark with them on the next stage in their missionary journey. But Paul didn't. That was because Mark had previously deserted Paul and Barnabas on their way to Antioch. And so now Paul wasn't sure he could trust him. He didn't really want him along. He didn't want anything to do with him. Paul had been let down by Mark big time. But now as he sits in a Roman prison cell, it's Mark that he calls for. In other words, the gospel is good news for letdowns. It's good news for those of us who have had moments when we have loved the world more than Jesus. It's good news for those who have let him down. The gospel means there is always a way back. And so Paul says, bring Mark. Bring Mark. Maybe he'll be useful for ministry. Maybe he can write a gospel or something like that. Uh, And he says in verse 13, bring my cloak. Uh, Presumably that's his travelling cloak, not his comfort blanket for a cold night in a cell. Uh, Paul wants his travelling cloak because if if his trial doesn't lead to execution, well then, it's game on. The mission continues. 
A few months in a prison cell aren't going to take Paul out of action. No, he needs to be good to go if the time comes. And so then he says, bring my scrolls and my parchment. Again, not the latest novel for a lonely night in the cell. This is his copies of scripture, his, his writing material. If I am going to be stuck here, he thinks, then I'm going to get on and write to the churches. I'm going to tell them how to keep going, how to, to keep following Jesus. I'm going to guard the gospel even as I sit in chains. And so can you see, despite disappointment, despite being deserted by most of his friends, Paul is determined to keep going, determined to press on to the very end. Disappointment, determination, and then finally, deliverance. As I've already said, fear may well have been a big factor for uh, those that ended up deserting Paul. Fear of Roman opposition and fear of people like Alexander, who we meet in verse 14. Uh, Look at verse 14 with me. Paul says, Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. Now, we don't get much information about this guy, Alexander, but it's clear that he is a baddie, that he opposed the gospel, and it seemed like he might have even physically harmed Paul. Literally, verse 14 says, Alexander informed many evil things against me. Some think that he is an informer responsible for Paul's arrest. We don't know exactly, but whatever he did, he wasn't the only person opposed to Paul, was he? We've thought about this already, that that Paul's ministry involved lots of Alexanders. It was marked by constant opposition. Back in chapter 3, Paul referred to sufferings and persecutions that he received in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra. You can read about those in Acts 13 and 14, where you find that Paul was outright rejected in Antioch. He was literally chased out of Iconium and stoned half to death by the guys that followed him to Lystra. And the reason Paul keeps bringing up all these opponents is is that he doesn't want Timothy or anyone else to be naive when it comes to outright opposition to the gospel. Uh, Yes, of course, we need to to watch out for the sneaky and subtle attacks of the false teachers. But we also need to be on our guard against those who will make it their their mission to oppose us, to, to stop people speaking about Jesus. Watch out for these people, says Paul. Be aware of them. But don't just... Don't just be aware, don't just know that they're out there. Keep going. Keep going even when they oppose you. Persevere even when they persecute you. And the way to do that, he says, is to trust in the one who can deliver you. I've been deserted by Demas, I've been opposed by Alexander, says Paul, but, verse 16, the Lord stood at my side. And gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Despite opposition, despite rejection, what was it that enabled Paul to keep going? What what enabled him to persevere? Well, in the end, you see, it was nothing to do with Paul. 
It was nothing to do with him. In the end, it was all to do with Jesus. It was Jesus that stood by Paul when all others had left. It was Jesus that that strengthened Paul when all he felt was his own weakness. And so can you see, guarding the gospel is tough. Jesus does not promise us an easy ride. Following him hurts. But he does promise to stand by us, no matter what. He does promise to strengthen us so that we can fight the good fight. Paul says in verse 17, it was through Christ's strength that he could proclaim the gospel fully, even in the most threatening of circumstances. The lion's mouth that he refers to is probably a reference to the emperor's court. The very place where Paul's fate was going to be decided was the place where he preached Christ without fear of consequence. And he could do that because Jesus strengthened him and because he knew that Jesus would save him. He knew that, as he says in verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Paul knew. Paul was confident in the fact that ultimately his future was secure in Christ. He knew that he could suffer now because there was a certain glory to come. As he said right back at the start of the letter in chapter 1, Jesus Christ has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And so what else is there to fear? Paul could keep fighting, he could keep running, he could keep working, no matter what. He could guard the gospel to the very end because he could trust the promise of his death-defeating saviour. The promise to to bring him safely home to be in his kingdom forever. Paul trusted the one who delivered him. And so as we come to the end of uh, this letter this evening, I want to finish where we began, really. I want to finish with that question that we thought about right at the start of our series. That question, what about you? That's the question that Paul is asking Timothy in this letter. What about you, Timothy? What will will you do with the gospel? It was the question for Timothy, and it's the question for each one of us. What about you? Desertion? Disappointment? Danger? Those are all normal for those who want to guard the gospel. If you haven't experienced those things yet, then you will. Passing on and proclaiming the good news about Jesus will involve pain. It'll mean persecution. So what about you? What will you do? Will you, will you abandon Paul? Uh, will, will love for this world, love for yourself, for comfort and pleasure mean that you give up on the gospel? Or will you keep going? Will you continue in what you've learned and become convinced of? Will you faithfully, fearlessly pass on the gospel to others? Will you join with Paul 
and countless people after him in suffering for this good news? And will you do it all in the certain knowledge that Christ will be standing with you every single step of the way? He'll strengthen you for the race. He'll run it with you. And he promises to bring you safely home to be with him forever. So what will you do? Let's pray. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Our loving Heavenly Father, we pray that you would fill our hearts with such a love for the Lord Jesus, that we would long for his appearing, that we would want nothing more than for him to return and to take us safely home with him forever. But Father, until that day, would you give us the grace and the strength to keep going? to keep running, to keep fighting, to keep guarding the gospel, to keep passing it on and proclaiming it to others so that more might enter his kingdom, so that more might be saved and so that more glory might go to your name. Father, give us the strength to do that, we pray, today and every day until Christ returns. And we ask it in his name. Amen.